The OnPulse podcast is produced by Abacus Data in partnership with Summa Strategies and Spark Advocacy. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so make sure to subscribe for the latest updates. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the eighth episode of the On Pulse podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Kristen Wilton. I am a research consultant at Summa Strategies and this On Pulse episode's guest host. Uh, as you all know, if you've t- tuned in in the past, On Pulse is a research collaboration between polling company Abacus Data and partner agencies Summa Strategies and Spark Advocacy. It's built up around a tracking survey keeping a pulse on the Ontario election where we take a d- deep dive into some of the dynamics of how the public is reacting to the 2018 campaign. You can find more about that and posts on our latest polling and analysis at www.onpulse.ca. So today I am joined by two uh, guests who all of you return listeners will already be familiar with. The first is Kate Harrison. She is a senior consultant at Summa Strategies. And if you follow Ontario politics uh, frequently, you often see lots of her on TV and hear lots of her on the radio. And also joining us is Robin McLaughlin. He is our Vice President at Summa Strategies and the Director at Abacus Data. Thank you both for being on the show today. Happy, happy to be here. Happy, happy to really be here. excited to have you. A little nervous about what's to come. Well, is that why you have the boxing gloves on right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't see it, but, okay. but they're there. It's good to have both of you, as especially as things are really ramping up between the PCs and the NDP. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, Robin and I are going to be spending a lot of time together. <laughs> yes, seems, I think so. True. <laughs> So I wanted to want to kick off the conversation uh, with the exciting twist we've seen in Abacus data and some of the other polling in the last week. So the Liberals have dropped in support. And if the momentum continues, we could see an NDP in the lead. And some polls actually that recently came out have the NDP well over 40 percent and some actually saying there could be a majority government. That with sounds the NDP. me pinching myself. That, that is you. I hear that. <laughs> uh, it's funny because Abacus actually had the NDP gaining momentum very very early on in the campaign and we're actually one of the first firms to catch on to this so so it's interesting how that is all coming together so um presently the tories and the ndps are neck and neck so i guess we'll hit it off with our first question this was doug ford's to win what do you guys think happened kate over to you over to you i think we'll start with kate we'll on start this with one. the easiest one well okay there's 12 days left in the campaign. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of time. Uh-huh. Is an eternity in politics, considering a lot of voters don't make up their mind until very, very late in the mm-hmm. game, considering we have another debate actually happening this weekend, which will lead to another week full of coverage. Uh, and frankly, considering uh, you know both now the Liberals and the PCs are going to be turning their attention and their fire to the NDP, that could cause a shift in things again. So uh, certainly, I don't think that there's anybody at the PC campaign that's looking at numbers like this and aren't a little bit alarmed. Uh, I think it's a bit of a wake-up call in terms of uh, the the threat of the NDP. It's a challenging line to walk uh, for the Conservatives. You need the NDP to do well, at least in some areas, uh, in order to help with vote splitting, in order for the PCs to come up the middle. I think that there was a lot of expectation that 
that would that would hold and the the NEP would do reasonably well but not well enough to perhaps form government uh, these numbers might suggest otherwise, which I think is giving some cause for the PCs to to rethink how aggressively they want to go after the NDP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this was Doug Ford's to, to lose. There's no doubt about that. But there were, you know, you referenced Abacus being one of the first to catch on to what was happening underneath the kind of main, what we call the horse race numbers. So some of that movement that was coming from undecideds, uh, from, uh, dis, you know, dissatisfied liberals uh, that you know, had the NDP as their second choice. So the April poll Abacus put out was fascinating because while the NDP was still in third place, they were back. What it showed was that uh, the negatives on both of the other leaders, on Kathleen Wynne and Doug Ford, were so high compared to Andrew Horvath's. Uh, her lower profile was was, se- was seen to be kind of this, this variable, this uh, something we couldn't quite figure out before the campaign started. But there was definitely a path there with people that had parked their vote. Those change voters were saying, well, Doug Ford is the alternative to Kathleen Wynne, and he was at the start of the campaign. What I think happened throughout the campaign was some of those people that maybe weren't huge Doug Ford supporters, but were very anti-Kathleen Wynne, started to get a better look at Doug Ford and really question, do I want this individual leading our province? Is this the vision that I have for Ontario? Is this my Ontario? And I think those voters uh, uh, caught on to, and I don't think it's just an absence, uh, I don't think it's just about not being Kathleen Wynne or not being Doug Ford. That's certainly a factor. But Andrew Horvath's also run so far, and there's still 12 days, as Kate notes, uh, a very strong campaign. She has not hurt the NDP. She's definitely helped them. Uh, And I think Doug Ford has hurt himself. Uh, He's made himself too often the story of the day, not the message they want about uh, kicking Kathleen Wynne out. So I'm just going to pipe in. Do you think Andrea Horwath, she has over the years, people have asked, who is she? People don't really know who she is, even after all this time. Do you think that she has more of a profile now just since the campaign has started? Yeah, I mean, it was also interesting to look at Abacus's numbers at the start of the campaign, where in fact, more Ontarians had a firm position on Andrew Horvath at the start of the last campaign, 2014, than they did at the start of this campaign, by a small margin, but they did. Uh, And she's had three elections now. This is her her third. Uh, So I think she does have more profile now. She had more profile before the last election because it was a minority parliament and the NDP's role was significant. But her profile has risen because of the fact that uh, people are really rejecting the other two people on offer. And this is a personality-driven campaign, not really a policy debate campaign. Uh, And leaders, our politics has become so leader-centric that when people see something they don't like, they gravitate away from it. Uh, And I think Andrew Horvath has put forward the kind of hopeful vision that Justin Trudeau did federally uh, in the last election and Jack Layton before in 2011. Lots of positivity. Yeah, which is a lot better campaign than what the NDP ran in 2014, to be frank. Yeah, I would I would add to that that you know what we're seeing is a is a momentum for change. Robin's right to point out that this is not a policy based election. Uh, if it were, I think actually more voters would be taking a moment to read the mm-hmm. NDP platform and think about okay, well actually are there things in here that we can't afford? If one of the biggest knocks against Kathleen Wynne's government is that she was spending the province silly, uh, you know even a cursory look at the NDP platform, though costed, uh, still presents a pretty big deficit. So I I don't think that this is a policy-driven election. Maybe it needs to shift that way in the final 12 days to give, well, maybe maybe voters need to have a serious look at, at the platforms as opposed to just the agent for change. And I would take, I would push back a little bit on something Robin said earlier around, uh, you know, kind of Doug Ford being the, the focus. I don't think there's been one thing that Doug Ford has done that has been particularly 
particularly bad. I would say that we have been, the campaign's been thrown off message uh, through candidate errors, uh, and that's what the PCs are now trying to do with the NDP. But there hasn't been one moment, I don't think, where where Doug Ford has, has done something particularly wrong, uh, though... Fair to point out that the negatives were were higher than uh, than I think anticipated. Yeah, and he's he's actually an abacus number is getting somewhat close to Kathleen Wynne's negatives, which I think is obviously going to be challenging when when as you say personality is kind of driving this campaign. The, on the policy stuff, I, it's funny if you're following Andrew Horvath and and you're following the campaign, you're, that's that's what they're talking about because they chose not to try to be to be attacking. Yes, they're demanding of Doug Ford what, where he's going to find this magical 4% of efficiency, uh, which essentially means cutting 4% in spending across the board. Uh, but what they've been talking about is ending hallway medicine, uh, the, the hiring of 4,500 nurses in the first year of the mandate. Uh, they've been talking about asking the most wealthy among us to pay a little more, and those making over 220000 those making over $300,000. And they've been talking about the fact that we can actually deliver dental care for all those Ontarians who don't have it, and a pharmacare program that actually means everybody gets it, not just uh, a select, select few. So I think there has been policy amongst it, but it's true that people haven't been digesting it. Uh, I do think with this added pressure that's going to be on Andrew Horvath in the last 12 days, the sprint to the finish, uh, that that policy will be debated. But the challenge, though, that, and, and Kate alluded to this, with Doug Ford really wants to put the spotlight on the NDP's platform, is they are the ones that have it fully costed. They're the ones that have uh, economists out there saying, well, you know, compared with the rest, they actually do have the best fiscal uh, uh, scrutiny of their platform. Doug Ford's promising tax cuts that he's paying for with cuts he won't talk about in terms of services. So he's spending money like crazy, and he's not talking about how he's going to raise it. So I th there's going to be a double-edged sword there for the Conservatives, and they'll definitely come at the NDP, no doubt, but they're going to then face those questions about, mm -hmm. so what about your platform? Yeah. I do want to touch back on the profile because um, Doug Ford, he did have to build his image as well as somebody who can lead the province. Do you think that he's been doing that in a positive way, him himself as a leader? Mm. That's a that's an interesting question because I, I think of I think back to the PC leadership race and of any of the candidates that were running, Doug Ford had the most name recognition. Uh, he was coming to the party having been a relatively known quantity for the voter uh, with a prepackaged brand. Maybe some baggage, people would say, but he was a, he was a known entity, right? He wasn't a total unknown in the way that a lot of people would say Andrew Shear, for example, yeah. is for Ford the federal Nation. Tories. Uh, exactly. So <laughs> I, it's been a lot about Ford, uh, and his negatives have been pointed out, of course, in the <clears throat> Abacus polling and and on this podcast. Um, maybe more time spent on the fact that that Ford is is a reasonable guy. I, I've spent a little bit of time with him. He's rather shy, frankly. He doesn't have the um, kind of bravado that I think a lot of people associate with uh, the Ford brothers. And his late brother, Rob, is, is perhaps a little bit more apt to that reputation than 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 Doug would be. Um, but yeah, maybe perhaps some time spent defining him a little bit more and also putting some of our great candidates out there. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm thinking about what a, uh, a Doug Ford-led government front bench would look like, I feel really good about where the province would go. I see Christine Elliott on that bench. I see Caroline Mulrooney, Vic Fideli, Todd Smith, others that have been around for some time on that bench. Uh, they haven't really been the face of the campaign. It has been all about all about Ford uh, without spending a ton of time defining him as a person. So maybe we'll see a bit of that uh, shift and a little more focus on some of our, our stellar candidates, mm -hmm. especially because the PCs want to look at uh, how the NDP may have trouble forming a credible front bench. 
for sure. Well, well the I zinger at the end there, Kate. The Ooh. Zinger. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should we should move on and touch on the liberals and who? on the liberal. <laughs> yeah, who are they again? Remember the we were saying that about the NDP <laughs> six weeks ago. It's so funny. you were Kathleen Wynne and the liberals gearing up for the final twelve days of campaigning and ad spending. Imagine if you were in their shoes. What would you do up until the E day? Robin. Cricket. Robin. Cricket. Cricket. Yeah. Uh, that is a really good question. Well, go to Las Vegas. I would do exactly what they're. Well, you know, no, that's not true. What I would do is part of what they're doing, which is saving the furniture. You can watch by where Kathleen Wynne is going and what they're doing. They're focusing on the progressive battle line. There's no doubt. You will see them assaulting NDB candidates. And I know from some of the people that run the Liberal War Room, what they care about right now is wounding the NDP as much as they can and saving as much of their furniture as they can. So that's looking at a seat like we're sitting right now, Ottawa Centre. That should not be up for grabs with a very popular leader, uh, leader, maybe future leader, <laughs> in Yasser Nakvi. Uh, and uh, it's really quite possible that Yasser could lose his seat. Uh, so I would see them focusing on seats like, well, uh, in the downtown 416 core, uh, eastern Ontario, where they still in some polls do lead the only region. Uh, because, you know, you have to think of that that long game. Uh, and if they get wiped out, if this is like the 1993 election and the PC party going down to two seats, uh, that party never came back. Literally, that party doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not saying that's going to happen to liberals, but they could go down to five seats. I'm not predicting that. But so they do really need to focus where can they win, and they will be attacking Andrew Horvath, and watch for Kathleen Wynne to be very direct in her attacks on Andrea on uh, on Sunday night, which I will point out, because I know this is a new Democrat, is really tough to do. Uh, our voters, the, the accessible voters, liberal NDP switchers, hate it when we attack the liberals. They also, many of them, hate it when liberals attack new Democrats, because they see the enemy as Doug Ford. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, you're right. There is a double-edged sword there. I don't think that stops the war room at the end of the Gosh, day from no. going Gosh, hard. No. Yeah, no, no they'll be attacking every candidate individually uh, if they can. Absolutely, yeah. and they're they're facing decimation as a as a political party in the province after 15 years, which is almost unthinkable. Does remind me a lot of Alberta uh, and what mm. happened with the PCs after being out there for for decades long, and people just another party enough. that doesn't exist anymore. That's right. Well, <laughs> they don't. That's for another podcast. That's, that's a whole <laughs> other can of worms. Um, no, I think Robin's right. They're gonna they're gonna go local. We have to keep in mind at the end of the day, fifty five percent of people in the province identify as as center left. Yeah. Um, so perhaps the liberal strategy will be to muddy the water to the point for those for those undecided center left voters that are considering NDP for a momentum shift. Uh, muddy the waters to the point that. Uh, either they stay liberal or maybe just don't show up at all. And, you know, I think we have to acknowledge the very real, though sad, possibility that many people will just stay home because yeah. uh, my my door knocking experience has definitely been uh, we're not happy with any three option. Mm -hmm. um, and these next 12 days, because of the way the polls are going and because of the nature of the campaign and where all the parties are at right now, I think are going to be particularly vicious. And that's going to turn a lot of voters off. Yeah, there's something Kate said, I think that's really interesting, because sitting on your hands and not voting is a problem that happens in some of these elections. You look at 2011, a lot of liberals sat at home. Uh, they weren't 
excited about Mike Lignati if they knew they were losing, and people don't want to lose. But the other thing that it, I think is still possible and is already showing some signs of it, so far still amongst that kind of group that's decided that Andrew Horvath's their agent for change, is when you get an exciting campaign. 2015, there was no doubt the Trudeau campaign was the ex- campaign of hope, excitement, motivation. Youth came out. Indigenous people came out. Uh, you know, they got NDP voters to vote for them. Uh, Andrew Horvath is on that precipice right now. And they are smartly targeting their communications the way that Jack Layton did in 2011, the way that Justin Trudeau did in 2015. Uh, I think of the Trudeau-Brampton rally where 7,000 liberals were bussed in from around the province to show that momentum. So we're still a little early. 12 days to go, but the message that I'm seeing from Andrew Horvath and the bus is hope, and we can do this, and that better is possible. And you're starting to hear that tone that I think they're hoping will galvanize Mm -hmm. and build that kind of excitement where people say, you know what, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, We do have a question on that, so I want to save that for... Because I have something else coming, and I know See, where I'm you're going. I'm so like <laughs> I I want to jump back. Do you guys think is there anything that the liberals are doing wrong in their campaign? What do you think about the overall campaign itself? Is there anything what are, they're doing what are, wrong? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? What is keeping their polls so low? Is it just because Kathleen Wynne is Kathleen Wynne, and it's it's her that people don't like? Are they? How do you think yeah. the campaign is going? What should they do better? It depends what you what your philosophy is on what an effective war room mm-hmm. is, right? So if an effective war room is uh, throwing the other guys off message, the liberals are doing an excellent job. Uh, they've managed to do that nearly every single day. Stuff. They have yeah. dug up the most stuff. Uh, if the job of the war room is to you know maintain a healthy lead in the polls and help your local candidates, questionable, right? Um, listen, I, I think that the... Uh, fatal flaw for the Liberal Party was made well before, you know, May 9 Mm -hmm. or May 7 when this whole thing started. Um, It was in keeping Kathleen Wynne on as leader despite sinking popularity and frankly at at her own insistence. Um, She insisted on being the face of nearly every decision that that government made uh, to the party's detriment and she was not able to realize or she realized and she didn't all much care that that might mean the decimation of her party that she she wears it all so i i don't think that i i really don't think there's anything the liberals could have one thing they could have done other than recognize probably 12 months ago that she wasn't best positioned to be leader I think there's some truth to that because of where they were 12 months ago. It was so far, her leadership uh, for what it was in the eyes of Ontarians was so far gone that I don't think it was salvageable. Now, the funny thing is individually, I'm going to say something but surprising, is I am unlike a lot of Ontarians who were liberals. or I like Kathleen Wynne as an individual, and I think she is a competent, and I think she has a lot of potential. I can't stand the Ontario Liberal Party. I think they are one of the worst governments in all of North America. I think they're corrupt. I think they are stale and rotten to the core. And Kathleen Wynne, had she Tell come into really leadership... Think. Yeah, you know what? I'm getting a little <laughs> fired up here. And I am not, there are a lot of Ontarians who like Liberals, who still like the Liberal Party. Their brand is still strong, but they can't stand Kathleen Wynne. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little unfair, but Kathleen Wynne could have done what Justin Trudeau did when he became leader and turned on the party and said, this party needs to change. And under my leadership, it will change. I'm going to get out the rot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop this cash for access bullshit before the Globe and Mail makes me stop yeah. it. I'm going to stop this nomination bullshit and I'm going to turn this into a democratic party again. She didn't do that. She didn't want to do that. And she made herself, as Kate said, the face of all of the issues that the party put on. And in doing so, you live or fall by that. Mm-hmm. And the problem is she became unpopular. I think a lot of it's misogyny. I think a lot of it's homophobia. I think a lot of it's some of the worst parts of our society. But 
if you're just looking at strategically, Kate's right that her leadership became the problem. Uh, and I think a lot of Ontarians actually support some of the initiatives they tried to go down because look at what Angie Horvath's putting forward. It's just better versions yep. of some of those liberal policies, in my view. Uh, objective, yeah. of course. To but me, to me, when you when you introduce a proposal uh, that would eliminate immediately a quarter uh, off your hydro bill, when hydro bills are the number one issue, and you see no bump at all. There's a problem. If you and can't, it can't buy be votes fixed. anymore, yeah, like, it can't be fixed with policy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think right. from the campaign perspective, one of the just strategically, they, and they do have a war room that's good, as Kate said. If your principal point of the war room is to bring others down, the liberals are really good at that. They're really good at poking the other teams in the eye. They did bring up the most uh, dirt, um, but they were focused so much on Doug Ford. Uh, I think partially because of that challenge of. Uh, fighting within the left, not looking well, not looking good, uh, that they ended up setting up uh, the campaign that Andrew Horvath needed, which is her being the best alternative. Yep. Fair point. Well, I guess we'll go back to Andrew Horvath. I'm going to touch, we talked a little bit th about this already. So, so far, nothing particularly negative seems to stick with Andrew Horvath. She's been relatively well-liked throughout the campaign without voters knowing too much about her. And now she's reaping the benefits of that popularity. Is that sustainable? What more does what more does she need to do to take it to the top and potentially form that NDP majority that we've been talking about for the for the last couple of days? You're giving me goosebumps here, Kristen. <laughs> getting uh, you a little too excited. <laughs> do you want to go first? Do you want to go? Uh, I I would say, you know, elections are won and lost on the ground, and I think that where uh, the NDP has struggled uh, has been in their ground game. Um, they're they're coasting high high in the pools. I think they've run a great air war. I actually don't think there's much uh, there for the PCs or the Liberals in terms of attacking Horvath herself. I wouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. uh, I would look at, I, I think the PCs have the right strategy in terms of looking at the candidates uh, and picking their writings carefully about where they're going to send resources over the next 12 days. Uh, it's probably not the 905. Uh, it probably is parts of the 416. It is certainly southwestern Ontario uh, and northern Ontario, which the party has, you know, been trying very hard for some time to try and make inroads in, uh, and that's, that's now potentially at risk. So I, I don't think that there's much to be gained from attacking Horvath, mm -hmm. uh, but but the team, because let's be honest, yeah. uh, many candidates, I think about a quarter, were appointed in the very final days leading uh, up to the deadline when you could actually appoint. So there's a lot of green people uh, running for the NDP, uh, and that may not be when Ontarians take a closer look, what they want to put their faith in. Robin? Yeah, so Andrea is right now, most polls showing that almost one in two Ontarians think she'd make the best premier. Uh, that's way up over the campaign. So the more people see her, the more they like her. Interestingly, those not paying attention to the campaign still significantly choose her over any of the other two leaders as the best premier. So she's winning both of those demographics, those that are just getting to know her and those that really aren't paying attention. So the ones that aren't going to notice when the Liberals bring up something on the candidate from Durham. Uh, those people aren't seeing that, and they're going to go say, Andrew Horvath's still my choice. Uh, one of the interesting things, if you, if you listen to her at a rally or at a media event, is she's not that scripted. And uh, I'm not saying that she delivers the mm -hmm. most succinct uh, on point, on message speech, but I think there is something to those covering and then those reading the coverage about this kind of unscripted. She doesn't sound as much like 
uh, Queens Park typical politician mm-hmm. that she did in 2014. And I think I'm not saying that's the reason why people are, are, are loving Andrew Horvath. I think that it's part of it, though, that she doesn't. She has become a little bit more herself rather than a packaged politician from Queens Park. And the election of Doug Ford for the PCs tells us that people are rejecting these packaged politicians, and I think that has helped. Uh, I also think that she has found a platform and a policy plank that gets her excited. And when you like what you're talking about, you can hear it in the voice. And uh, she hasn't always been the most uplifting speaker, but I've heard the excitement in her voice. Uh, so she must be reading Abacus's poll numbers. <laughs> she must be. She must be excited about that. So um, can Doug Ford do anything different from what he's doing now to stop the slide? It's it's crunch time. He's going to have to do well, something. Well, okay. You know, I'd be remiss not to mention, yes, the high poll numbers being what they are, uh, looking at it weighted by region, Mm -hmm. looking at uh, some of the raw data, thinking a little bit about historically who turns up to vote. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't think the PCs are even close to throwing in the towel. It would be very, very premature to to say that. Um, So in terms of what can he do to turn the ship around, um, I, I think it's going to be a lot of uh, of attacking the orange team and reminding of the, of the dangers of the NDP that we've seen in the past. Though I would say, personally, um, as a millennial conservative, I don't think the way to do that is by attacking Bob Ray. Um, Bob Ray uh, finished Who? being pre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bob Ray finished being premier 23 years ago, okay? There's a lot of people in this province that have no recollection or memory of his his governance. Um, People of a certain vintage will. A lot of those people turn up to vote. Uh, But maybe we need to be looking at the the danger of an NDP government in this context, not just what we were dealing with over two decades ago. Uh, And I think that that's where the PCs are going to have to turn their attention is what is the risk in, in voting there? And frankly, again, looking at those strategic ridings where we're in a race with with blue and orange and and sending resources there. I'm sure that they're making those calculations now. Do you think Ford Nation has had any effect on on the voters? It seems like a lot of the qualities that attract them repel plenty of others. Mm. Do you think that is something that might that might hurt him? Uh that's an interesting question because the the 416 to me in terms of how things shake out in the election is is a dog's breakfast. I, I really think that that is entirely up for grabs for for blue, orange, and in some cases red. I, I, I don't think that we see some the. Parts, in, yeah. so I don't think we see the entire decimation of of the Liberal Party in the four one six. They're going to hold, I think, God, at least two seats that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, it's an there interesting. There are so many seats in the four one six. There are. <laughs> yeah, there are. Think that yeah. At least two, yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, <laughs> getting back two. getting back to your original question, the role of of Ford Nation in this. Uh, we're we're going to have a real test to see how much Ford Nation is a real thing. I think back mm-hmm. to the abacus numbers. Uh, you know, people who identify uh, as Ford Nation are are actually it's a pretty small number. Um, mm. It's highly concentrated, uh, but people that actually adopt that brand as their own something they want to be a part of um, province wide is is really not all that big. Thinking about how we've run the campaign, that has been a major slogan. Have people bought into it? Maybe, maybe not all that much. But where where it's concentrated are in writings that are uh, at this stage. If we're looking at the decimation of the Liberal Party, uh, must win writings in Etobicoke, in Scarborough, in Mississauga. Right. Those are must wins for the PCs if they're going to have a chance at forming government. Yeah. Well, Robin, do you think it's about making him more credible at this point, or about making the alternative less appeasing? 
appetizing a piece. It's really <laughs> hard to change impressions once they've been mm-hmm. made. And I think that impressions of Doug Ford have been made. So I don't think they can actually, with 12 days to go, change the minds of voters about how they think about Doug Ford right now. I think people have a, have a pretty good sense of who Doug Ford is, what he represents. And so I think it's more what Kate talked about. They need to be, it's all about tactics right now. It's, it's about execution. It's about ground game. It's about fo- targeting. And it's about the fact that this still is a race. There's no doubt about that. And there's a lot that we don't know in terms of splits in certain regions like Kate talked about. But uh, it, it is a disadvantage when you're, you're running with someone who's just essentially become much more unpopular over the course of the campaign. Uh, Wynne became much more unpopular over the course of her last mandate. Uh, and both of those are really big disadvantages. Uh, Wynne went into the campaign with that disadvantage. Ford is... Uh, past the halfway mark of the campaign, having to deal with the baggage of himself. And I think if I'm a strategist on the campaign, that's something that is a real challenge to to work around. And you really then just have to hope that you can beat the other team in your actual execution rather than who you're putting forward. Yeah. And I think, it, it, you know, I'm most interested to see uh, in the days following the election, regardless of the outcome, uh, where the money was spent. Uh, like mm. and thinking about how much uh, money maybe the NDP is putting in terms of their airtime and, and television ads and social media and how much of the money that the PCs raised went to none of that and went to just uh, making sure that local candidates got elected and distributing the money that way. I haven't seen a ton of uh, television ads and, and whatnot from the PCs. I suspect that they made the decision early on to focus a lot of their resources on the ground, that could be that could be the the winning factor is is are you able to pull out in some cases dozens, hundreds more votes than the other guy? It, it could be a very, very, very close. Well you race. don't think the Doug Ford for the people. The song, the catchy <laughs> song. You don't think that's working? I don't want to know how much money was spent <laughs> on that. I don't want to know. It's just, really just catchy, really though. On it that is though. catchy. Yeah, I, I heard you sing that at the office, Chris. And, yeah, I have. Uh, we all, I'm outing you for that. But uh, for the people was a good moniker. It was a good. It was. Of, I agree. Uh, the problem is he didn't embody it in the campaign, and I think too often he couldn't match what he was campaigning for to what he was saying who he was campaigning. So who he was trying to campaign for. And that was the challenge, is a tax cut that really is going to help the wealthiest more than for the people that actually, I think, do, in many cases, support Doug Ford. So his campaign didn't end up embodying what was, I think, a good good brand for Doug Ford. Got it. Oh, Kate Robin, that was awesome. Any last thoughts? We'll touch base next week when the Liberals have a 40-point lead. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, I still won't believe it until I see them uh, down to those two seats in the 416. No. Too many elections here. It's going to be an interesting 12 days, and I guess we'll uh, we'll touch base next week and and see how it all falls together. Sure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen.